It's time to pull those belts tight, race fans. The Front Stretch is coming at you. Presented by Joe's Karting and Council Bluffs. Now, here's Dan Taylor and Dirk Houston. Welcome to the Front Stretch Race Fans, presented by Joe's Karting and Council Bluffs, online at joeskarting.com. Fast-paced white knuckle racing just across the river on 23rd Avenue. Get over to Joe's Karting today. Do yourself right with a little indoor kart racing. A uh, lot to talk to you today. We are joined on the show by a uh, quick guest, uh, Stu Snyder, joining us on the show, driver of uh, the 23S 360 Sprint Car and the 5 Race Saver Sprint Car around the area. Uh, first off, Stu, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Me and Gravy are actually headed over to get the rig, take it home, and start loading up to get ready to go to Harlan on Friday night. All of a sudden, it looks like that race is going to get in. Yeah, finally. I, we were we were kind of let down last week. We were supposed to be at uh, there. Well, we were supposed to be over there with the 305, and the weather didn't cooperate. It was too cold, so they canceled that. And I mean, it worked out. I got to spend a Sunday afternoon with you in a booth talking about modifieds, which was fun. <laughs> Uh, I had a models. great time and whole, yeah, and late models and and uh, now we get to load up the 360 car and see how the first two nights go. Uh, we're bringing you on to kind of talk about the EMI deal, but before that, I, I wanted to talk about your thoughts on how things went with the topless nationals at Eagle. Um, first off, for those that don't know and didn't hear, Stu kind of joined us as a special commentator in the announcer's booth and kind of chimed in every once in a while and gave us some great insight on how the track was developing and what some of the drivers were doing. And, you know, even later in the night, as we were getting into the A features, uh, the blinding light going into turn three because of the sun setting right in the eyes. And um, I think you did a great job and I've, I've heard nothing but great things coming back out of that. Well, it was a lot of fun. I know that um, I, I appreciate the opportunity to come up there and kind of, I guess, share, share my knowledge of what the track is possibly going to do throughout the night and, be able to uh to cheer on some of the guys that i i support and it was fun i think i might have a might have a little gig there if i retire that'd be fun <laughs> well you, you came you on told the... me i could come back so i must yeah. have sounded like too big of an idiot you came on the podcast uh what would have been a couple of uh i think last week or the week before i lost track of time of what what day we played your interview but you talked about you know this is probably going to be your last full-time year so you got an open yeah. microphone up in that announcer's booth anytime well, well hell yeah, that sounds like a blast. Say that again, Dirk. And you got a lot of crew chiefing to do before he can get that gig up in the booth. Well, he's got yeah, a crew chief on Friday gonna, nights, though, for a while. Yeah, Fridays and, and maybe Saturdays, and, and we might end up taking the kid kind of all over. But uh, I think really, though, around here, Saturday um, for carts is pretty much open. I think Sunday is is the, the one down in Crete, maybe. But mm -hmm. It'll be, uh, I don't know. We might have to work something out there. That'd be kind of fun. I had a blast. I was a little surprised about the, uh, the car count on Sunday. Yeah. Um, I thought there was going to be more. Yeah. Uh, uh, thanks uh, to James Roland. Sure, up... There'd be more late models. Yeah. James ended up messaging me. Um, I think he said 14 late models. I think 17 or 18 modifieds and right around 30 some um, sport modified. So I, I was, yeah, a little, a little taken back by the lack of, uh, of, of car count. I, I kind of figured we'd be plus 50 in the sport mod since we were kind of the first show that came around of the season. Yeah. Um, and the late models seem to be really excited to come. I talked to a lot of late model drivers over the last couple of months, and they were all excited about it, but they kind of forgot to show up. Well, yeah, I kind of thought the same I thing. Saw, I saw a few of them making posts, uh, and these were guys that showed up, was uh, that they were glad they didn't tear the car up on opening night. And Eagle's reputation is a bull ring. You know, there's going to be some slamming and jamming, and for the guys that don't race there on a regular basis, they just probably decided to save equipment and stay home. You know, I don't like to see it either. I'd like to see at least a full A feature show up. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sorry. I'm trying to pull it up right now so I can get you guys exact numbers. But for some reason, the lineups that we use, the website that we use is down right now for Eagle Raceway. So I I'm, I guess I could just go right to the results. But um, 
the, you know, the tearing up part, I get it. It's a small track. It's a fast track. It, the cars get torn up a little bit. And we did have a couple of red flags, but uh, I thought the track held together well. Uh, Stu, you, you you would know that a lot better than I would. Yeah, I, I did think, you know, for the first first race, first, you know, night on the track, I guess we had practice the night before. But, you know, you probably don't prep it the same for practice that you would do for a race normally. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the track, I mean, it only had it only had that normal that normal spot going into one. And that was wasn't really a hole. It was more of where it was uh, delaminate, you know, delaminating and, and popping off, basically. But come time for the feature um for the feature races the the cushion had worked its way up past that uh with with roger probably knowing how it normally happens you know he tries to pack that top in like he was doing and and got that track to move up a little bit to where you could enter above it to where it really wasn't an issue um it had a really good cushion in three and four it had a decent bottom pretty much the whole way around the track and then you know even halfway through that feature like i was like i was saying on the mic that you know, those guys will run the bottom and they'll kind of throw that moisture up into the middle and you can normally get a hold of that for a few laps before it dries out and goes away. So that was, I mean, it was just fun to to watch. And, and like I said, the track was, was nice. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of conversation I saw on social media Sunday night and Monday about the, the treacherous hole in turn one. It felt like it was a little blown out of proportion from what I saw, did, did you see that, that there was a pretty yeah, severe they, I, I didn't think it was anything close to what it has been um, in the past, especially for the first, you know, race of the, of the season. You know, we've had, we've had years where that hole has been huge um, in multiple spots and we didn't have that. I mean, yeah, yeah. it was there, but it's always there. It ain't going anywhere. <laughs> Uh, last question I got for you on this regard is, do you think it was, uh, I ended up finding the results, by the way, uh, 14 late models and uh, 19 modifieds. Mm-hmm. But uh, do you think it was taking the tops off that stopped some drivers from coming? Well, it could have been. I mean, I'm sure that's not, I'm sure that's not an easy task um, at all. Um, I know that, uh, Roger had reached out to me earlier in the week. And since Harlan had canceled, he kind of had this crazy idea. Like he's normally got of doing a topless sprint cars in the heat races and then having a wing feature. And I kind of told him that that's probably not the greatest idea for the first race of the year, maybe the last race of the year. But I knew that if he wanted to do a full winged show that he'd probably have you know, 20 to 30 cars show up. So that could have been, could have been part of it. Um, But, you know, and, you know, most of the guys around here anymore don't like to try new things. You know, they, a lot of them don't like to travel. A lot of them don't like to try new stuff. They just kind of got in their little, in their little groove and that's what they like to do. So that could have been part of it, but I can't imagine that they race super different um at a track like eagle just because you know you don't have the speed like you do at a half mile with with a late model or with a modified to where you're really dependent on the aero package mm-hmm. yeah that's what i was kind of you know a, a a wingless sprint car is going to act co- uh, oh, I assume yeah. be a whole lot different than a yeah. roofless late model or modified and and i heard a couple of people say that Somebody actually tried to blame Michael Toll's role on the fact that he didn't have a roof. And no, I, I really had to just walk away and, and not say anything for a while to kind of calm yeah. down. And, and I've, I've read some of the stuff on Facebook and you just, you know, it's like normal stuff on Facebook. You just shake your head because it's most of the time it's, it's people that don't understand nothing about it. And that wreck had nothing to do with him not having a roof. Um, it really sucks for him and his team because, you know, that's probably a a hit that might cost him the entire year as it probably did for Ray Harrington also. So, yeah. you know, just a tough, tough night for those two guys. Uh, but, it, yeah, it didn't have nothing to do with it not having a roof. Dirk, you got any questions about the topless nationals before we move on to the EMI situation? No, like I said, you know, when I brought it up the other day that all I wanted to know was uh, – 
what happened and car counts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And we covered all that the other night. So, well, let's talk about the uh, EMI deal. When, when it was announced that Speedway Motors had decided to stop building the EMI chassis, um, I didn't feel like there was a predominant amount of Eagle EMI chassis in the, in the field. I pulled up the Race Saver Nationals um, information sheet from this year, and of the 101 registered uh, chassis or, or late, uh, sprint cars, um, there was 14 dedicated either EMI or Eagle chassis. And then there was a couple of hybrids with some Eagle uh, Helix and EMI uh, Maxims, a couple of them in there. So we're sitting probably about 20% of the field for the Race Saver Nationals this year was um, is going to be affected by the the EMI, the decision to shut down EMI. Stu, can you kind of talk a little bit more about that from a driver's perspective and a guy that's been involved in the sprint car side of it for quite a while? Well, I, I think for sure, uh, of course, the rumor mill is going right now that, that Brian Schnee and, and Mike Boston are going to keep the thing alive. Um, but it's if it don't, it's a huge deal. Um, you know, not only – somebody asked me that today. How many cars do you think run in the country with an EMI or, a, or an Eagle? Or, you know, not only do you look at that, you also look at, well, they built Helix. Um, which is a little bit of a cheaper, a cheaper uh, sprint car frame that they offer just because some of the work is done in China. Um, then you look at Mach 1 chassis. Okay, they were building chassis for Mach 1. So there's another chassis manufacturer that's affected by this. Um, and I would still say that I would have to bet at least 40 to 35 to 45% of the country is on some form of chassis that comes out of that building, you know, and even, you know, Brian Schnee with Schnee chassis. Um, so I think that if it doesn't get kind of rejuvenated and brought back, it's going to be a big deal because also right now you're not getting the chassis from some of these other chassis manufacturers. If you ordered one, you're not probably getting it till July or huh. August. I think you might see some other chassis manufacturers pick up some business from this, but then at the same time, most of the chassis manufacturers in the country were swamped. I mean, it's hard right now to get what I run with JR1, small, small band, used to own Eagle back in the day before it got sold to Bill Mann, and then before that got sold to Speedway and then become EMI. It's just him and his kid running it. So, you know, they're going to get backed up, which they already kind of are. Then you've got Maxim that's going to probably pick up customers. Well, they're backed up. I don't know how good J and J is with time with a timeline, but I think it's just going to affect a lot of things um, in the sprint car industry, and it's it's not going to be a good scenario. Um, then you also look at okay, well, not only did they build sprint cars, they had a, a T or a, a chassis manufacturer that they were building quarter midgets for. Then they got people that they were building micros for then they've got the midget side of it um that they were trying to get their foot in the door with kkm build their kind of specialty offset cards uh last not this year's chili bowl but the year before they took a couple of kyle larson king chassis and built those specifically with some changes that paul silva wanted to make brought that into the picture emi was the one that built those so it's going to affect, I think, a lot of the open wheel um, chassis market, and it's probably going to make things a lot harder for anyone, you know, to just have, you know, readily available to be able to go down and get. Well, there must be some reason other than profit, because it sounds like with all they had going on, that profit probably wasn't an issue. I know that, you know, I, I'm, a, uh, you know, in the field that I work in, you know, being a machinist and and all that stuff, and even running our little side business with uh, with repair work on chassis um, at JNS Fabrications, tubing did go up in price, just like everything else did in the country. So the overhead probably went up on a percentage. Um, the timeline that it takes to build one, it's not exactly a quick process. So. You know, you're looking at your hours you're having to invest in somebody or a couple guys to build one car. And 
and have it ready for, you know, a guy like Brian or a guy like Mike to go in and finish well, it's a, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough market to try and make money in because everybody wants to buy their frames cheap or they want to, you know, get a price break or, Hey, we're going to buy 10. Can we get a deal or, or whatnot? Well, at the end of the day, there's not a whole lot of wiggle room on what you can cut out to be able to make some sort of money off building a complete chassis. What is turnaround time in a best case scenario for a chassis? I would probably have to say 40 to 60 to maybe 40 to 80 hours invested. I mean, some guys have gotten it a little quicker now because instead of having to hand fish mouth all those tubes and bend them, they're having CNC benders bend the tubing up. They're having CNC lasers co-put for them. So basically they're, you know, kind of a cookie cutter car, lay it in the jig. It all fits, tack it up, weld it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the guys that are still old school and, and, and doing all that stuff by hand, like what I would have to do, you know, my dad talked to me about, you know, building a couple cars and, and whatnot. And, you know, with my schedule, with the racing, with the family and everything else, we're just, we're not in a position to be able to build chassis. Um, I, I know for sure that we can fix, you know, pretty much anything in a timely manner within a few days, but, uh, you know, it just, it's a time consuming deal. And, and, uh, you know, I feel for, I feel for the people that work there, you know, I've got a really good friend, you know, between Brian and Mike Boston and then, you know, Michael Wagner with Diablo, they, they had just bought out, you know, his, his lightning sprint, uh, 1200 micro business and him and his wife moved out here a couple years ago. You know, they got a little one that's uh, about a year and a half old now. Now he's going to have to try and figure out if he can get uh, some of his tooling back to be able to keep Diablo rolling or whether he's got to go to a normal job, I guess, you know, because wow. there's no chassis manufacturers around here. That was our bread and butter. You know, they would they would fix anything also. So not only were they building cars, they were fixing everybody else's cars that are around here. Now we don't have that. So I'm at the moment, you know, like I said, it sounds from what I'm hearing that Brian and Mike are going to be able to purchase the equipment that they need to keep, uh, to keep Sinead chassis alive and hopefully keep, keep, uh, I don't think, you know, I'm pretty sure they probably can't call it EMI, but obviously a Sinead chassis is a, a Brian Sinead chassis. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm, I'm hoping everything that I'm saying is correct. As far as that goes, um, you know, when it comes to the logistics of, of building them and all that stuff, I understand that pretty well. But I'm not sure how all that's going to work. I just know that it's it's a uh, it's a big it's a big deal. I was I was at work and actually um, running one of our machines, and Jake Galusha walked out. And he showed me his phone that had this email, um, had this text message on it, and I was like, what? what do you mean completely um, in shock really? I mean, they just, they had so many chassis manufacturers and and so many different classes that, you know, I guess at the end of the day, it didn't, the spreadsheet didn't look good. Well, I understand that that's how big corporations make money, but you know, chassis and, and stuff like that, I've always kind of been a mom pop type deal where, if you're making enough to cover the bills and you're making enough to, to have a decent, you know, spreadsheet, that's what you just keep it going. Cause you like to help people and you love the sport. And, so do you, uh, it do, just, do you think they were, they were more than likely looking down the barrel of a big price hike and decided <laughs> we can't go to the market with that big of a price hike. We're just going to end up losing our butts in the long run. Well, yeah, I, I think that, you know, when the when the prices are, are continually going up with your tubing and with your tooling that it takes um, to build them, and then what you're already charging for the cars um, and what the market's kind of doing, you know, well, what do you do? Do you jack your price up a little bit and then maybe possibly lose the customers that you have because you're at those prices? Or do you just say, I'm done and wash your hands of it because it doesn't make enough money? 
does the timing of the announcement tell you anything like they had been planning on this for a while and this is a good opportunity for those employees to be able to get relocated or i mean i would i would damn sure hope that those employees can get relocated because i mean you know somebody had had made a comment well man who's this all going to affect you know larson and rico run those cars and i don't care who runs the cars we'll figure it out we're racers you know we're, we're going to figure out where to go buy chassis from if this mm-hmm. doesn't come back to life i'm worried about the people that i knew that worked there more than i'm worried about anything else you know and, and that's a huge a huge deal for me that i thought of um you know, there's there's families involved there. Yeah, that's a big deal, and a lot of these people have, have either become family towards you know to me and my family, or they've just been really really good friends and good people throughout the years to me, and they just they don't have a job. Mm-hmm. You know, they're out. That was it. It was shocking, and and I don't I'm not I know that uh, the people that had ordered cars and they were in the process of building them. Um, I think there's a couple people down there that are still finishing those out i think mike and brian are still down there that are going to finish out what was on the build sheets but that's that's it and i hope that uh i hope that something happens with it i hope it just doesn't get shelved like some things with with speedway have have been a you know have have that's that's what's happened to them they've just been shelved and yeah well you know they just shut the doors and we don't care we've got enough money we'll just let cobwebs grow on it yeah i think that uh, i think it was kind of a just a quick deal because I don't think you would try to close a business like this at the beginning of the race season. No, no, and I, I don't think so either. I think that you know maybe the big wigs at Speedway know a little more than we do about moving numbers, what numbers do, and and they at the end of the day might have looked at the sheet and said, "Well, this this is we're losing our butt on this deal. Um, we're not making any money. We're actually spending a ton of money to do this and keep these you know keep this deal alive. We can't continue to do this." And that was it. I just, it, it's, it's not good. I don't think um, it's tough. It was a tough one for me. Like I said, with just having the people that I know that work there and, and it's tough for everybody around here too, that, you know, don't really know the people that work there, but Hey, you know, I took two of my cars last, you know, there last year and got repaired. Well, I can't do that now. So what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> you take them to JNS fabrication, I guess. <laughs> Good plug. You know, that's a little <laughs> plug, but I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if somebody needs something done, we're we're gonna do it. But you know, it's still uh, it's still a tough deal to to deal with when you when you lose something like that. That's that, that's that big. I mean, there there was nothing small about that place. Yeah. Anything else, Stu? No, I'm I'm I don't know. I've been driving the rig home since I got on the phone <laughs> with you, and that went well. So. <laughs> hopefully if that's any indication to the to the racing this weekend hopefully we can put that 23 uh 23s mr yards and more 360 up front and, um get the i know i've been practicing thank you dan with taylor computers <laughs> he got my tower back to me last week and i literally haven't played i racing for a long time so i've i've been trying to get a little bit of the rust knocked off me I know that if you watch Saturday in the first initial set out there at Eagle and practice, it was a little tough. <laughs> <laughs> I may not have been up to, uh, up to par, but, uh, I don't know. I'm excited to get the season started up and we'll, uh, hopefully we can talk to you in victory lane. All right, man. Good, good luck. Good. good luck Sunday or good luck this good weekend. Night. Friday and Thanks, Saturday. Guys. Appreciate it. Just to, uh, clarify that I racing comment, uh, you hadn't done it in a while. Was that because, your computer wasn't available for a while or you hadn't taken it in to get fixed for a while. Well, we well, got to move on a little bit of both, but uh, <laughs> most of it was just, I don't have time. Um, we use the computer for both business stuff. Um, and then the iRacing and, you know, just having the time to be able to do this and to go downstairs and have fun and, and you know, play with the buddies online. Well, <laughs> but you got kids and a family and two race cars and a truck and a trailer and everything else to maintain and build stuff. You uh, you don't have a lot of free time. Dirk, did you hear that too? Yeah, where it sounded like he was racing. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, I, I to beat the deadline to talk or what? I, 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 uh, Stu, I, I think your Zoom kind of 
buffered for a minute there and all of a sudden you got talking really slow and then you turned into oh. the micro machine man <laughs> oh all right well it caught back up i well yeah. i might have just got home and hooked to the wi-fi so maybe that's why <laughs> that was I don't interesting know. yeah it took me 20 minutes to figure out how to get into the damn meeting because i'm not smart <laughs> you, uh, you got, got it me. done you turned into i got her sports, you turned into the only reason sports, i have the sports. app is because last time you had me on yeah well keep it because i think we're going to have you on yeah. a lot more well it's it's fun it's always good to voice my opinions and you know give our team plugs and our sponsors plugs and and be able to talk racing it's always a good time so keep putting me on tell somebody says i'm an idiot and i don't know what i'm talking about oh well, they say that about us every week so yeah you'll be on be right. long after that <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right buddy have a good night good luck this weekend at harlan all right thanks guys appreciate it Stu snyder driver the number 23 s uh 360 sprint car joining us on the podcast Appreciate Stu taking the time out of the night. Yeah, uh, James Rowland kind of reached out to me on Tuesday afternoon. And he's like, uh, I think you guys are missing how big EMI is. You you need to revisit that. So uh, I think I got it now. They're they're much larger than I was expecting. So uh, good to have Stu on, and I appreciate him clarifying that. And I think uh, we'll probably end up going to that well a little bit more when we got some sprint car, uh, sprint car news that we need somebody to cover. And uh, Stu's going to be a good source. Hopefully he's able to help us out more often. Yeah, yeah. Until until a few other guys find out about it, and then they want a piece. Of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the big news uh, after we put EMI Eagle chassis to bed is uh, the uh, National Appeals Panel uh, or the National Motorsports Appeals Panel ruled on the L two penalty that was levied, levied against Colleg Racing for unapproved uh, part modifications way back in March at Phoenix Raceway. Now, you guys can remember that um, Hendrick was hit with the same penalty, the same um, fines, and their appeal was heard last week, and it was reduced to a $100,000 fine and four-week suspension for each one of their crew chiefs. Colleague Racing appealed their penalty, and it was reduced, uh, I want to say less. It's currently a loss of 75 championship driver and owner points loss of 10 uh team owner and driver playoff points along with a continued hundred thousand dollar in a hundred thousand dollar fine and full race suspension uh dirk i'm gonna ask you a question that uh i don't know how long or what you're gonna be able to say to this but why is this penalty being different than than hendrix well first of all the four race suspension is just for the crew chief Okay, you didn't add that on there at the end. Okay. I just want to make sure everybody knows that's correct. Thank you. I think that the Hendrick organization obviously is a bunch bigger, has a lot more manpower, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My guess is they probably presented a hell of a lot better case to the appeals panel than um, colleagues team did. Hmm. That's the only thing I can think of. I would have thought that these three panel people are going to go in there and say, oh, well, this is what they did the other day. It sounds good to us, you know. Yeah. We don't want to be a stick in the mud if there's, you know, there was five teams, so 80% of the appeal was has already been done. We're doing this last little 20%, <clears throat> you know. Yeah. And maybe they all got calls from NASCAR and said, don't you do what those guys did. <laughs> uh, hey, and, and- that would not surprise me one bit. And by the way, uh, to you, I believe you were the one that mentioned it last week. That and, and we talked a lot about the appeals panel members. The ones that heard the colleague racing appeal was Hunter Nickel, Shauna Robinson, and Steve York. So it was three different people that heard the colleague appeal than the Hendrick appeal. So which leads me to my next point or my next question to you is: Do you think this is right? I mean, they got hit with the same penalty for the same violation, yet. The bigger team, on the surface of it, you look at it and say the bigger team is getting off lighter than the smaller team is. Well, I did not on the surface of it. That's the facts of it. You know, the facts of it is, you know, Hendrick, you know, got the majority of their stuff back. And to me, the important part, the drivers all got their points back. You know, the end of the season, that's what's important. I don't know why they just didn't include the last, the fifth team in the whole deal, you know, 
I, I, I'm at a loss as to why it's different, except yeah. for the, the case was presented. That's the only thing I can think of. I think you bring up a really good point that it was most likely just, I don't know, who, who'd lawyer, who lawyered up better. And Hendrick Motorsports <laughs> had the money to lawyer up a little bit better than, than College Racing did, apparently. Yeah, um, that's always going to happen. Uh, I mean, College's not a one-car team per se, but as far as the cup garage, they, they are. You know, uh, they're not a one-car team. I take that back. They got two cars. In the uh, top, right? Let's see. Another one of the articles that came out, uh, or do you have anything else to, to say about that? No, I was just going to say colleagues got two cars with AJ's okay. in the one and Haley's in the one. And that also might have been part of it, the fact that both their cars were different. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, it was uh, kind of leaked a little story running around the, the, uh, the NASCAR world that uh, team owners – have decided to boycott their um, quarterly meeting with NASCAR officials that was set for Wednesday uh, due to the uh, displeasure of the status of the revenue talks with the sanctioning body. So this has been something that's been going on for a little while. Uh, NASCAR and team owners are currently in negotiations to figure out how much money teams are going to get as a part of the TV deal. The teams uh, currently receive money, uh, through the charter system based on their performance, each race performance over the previous three seasons and the points fund teams are currently asking NASCAR in the sanctioning body to offer up a little bit more money with the new TV deal. And those talks have apparently stalled. So this is the team owners attempt to get NASCAR to come back to the table was to uh, skip a meeting. So. Uh, yeah. It, um... The revenue's down coming into the sport. You know, that's kind of what I think they may be missing is that there's not more money to give. <laughs> oh, there is. Believe me, NASCAR's taking plenty. You know, all the all the France family, Mike Hilton, all those big wigs at NASCAR, they've all got their pockets stuffed full. Yeah. You know, and I'm I'm thinking they all start with a B. They're not M people anymore, they're B people billionaires not millionaires mm -hmm. and so yeah there's plenty of money to go around um, we will uh we'll see how this unfolds but hopefully this doesn't turn into one of those nasty uh contract negotiations that we we've seen unfold in other sports you know uh i mean what uh, it's not the first time we've well if there was some sort of boycott or at least strike it's not the first time it's happened in nascar no no, I mean, strikes have even happened at the local levels. The Sunset Speedway had a strike one year. I really, it's, it's hard to call it a strike because I don't really think they're a union, but, you know, boycotts, you know, definitely a, a, a applicable word. And mm -hmm. what are they going to gain by it? I don't know if they'll gain anything. Will they get hurt by it? Possibly. But uh, you, you don't know, you know, if you don't try type of yep. thing. You know, we're asking for this. We need this. And that kind of goes back to, as I know I've said for the last several years, whenever NASCAR tries to save them some money, you know, they just save it in one spot and get spent somewhere else. You yep. know, they've cut down the time that the teams are at the track and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, they're saving on uh, motels and, and whatever else. I don't know how they do with their teams for feeding them. You know, the big teams feed them at the track, but the small teams don't. Uh, they went to tire rules, you know, at all the tracks back in the day. There were no tire rules. If a team had 60 sets of tires for the race, they had 60 sets. Yeah. You know? um, but so much of that has changed. Uh, the practices now are all basically NASCAR assigning practices or, you know, test days or whatever. So a lot of that's changed and, and the cost on that's all cut down. But. Again, NASCAR will, or that these teams will find some place to spend the money if they're doing more R and D on the engines, um, you know, whatever it happens to be, they're going to spend any money they they can that they think will find them an advantage. Yeah, so obviously it, they would like more coming in. It, it's kind of uh, interesting to me. I, I should sit down and make a list of all the things that, at least in my opinion, NASCAR has changed that has saved the teams money over the last five years. But I think you're exactly right. It all it did was just reallocate the money. It, it didn't save the teams any money because they've cut down team members at the racetrack. They've cut down days at the racetrack. They've cut down 
testing sessions. They've cut down practice and in time at the racetrack. And uh, they're trying to streamline the the parts. And, you know, NASCAR has done a lot. And some of the times the teams enjoy it. Sometimes the fans hate it. But in the end, it's to save money. But it it that's a bad word. It actually just reallocates money. Right. It does. And as we were just discussing, uh, you know, we know through discussions we had last year where what Kansas Speedway go from 70,000 seats down to 40 or 39,000, something like that. Yeah. And we know the campgrounds aren't near as full as they were before. You know, there were empty spots over by Chris last year. Yeah. Well, I, I think they were technically sold out in the uh, camping. Could be, you know. That might not be. I don't know. The, the back stretch was full like it always is. But, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't walk through the infield to make sure it was all sold out, to make sure there was something in every spot. But Well, uh, as, as you look at any Nebraska Cornhusker game, sold out doesn't mean every seat filled. Um, Just means tickets sold. Right. But I'm just saying uh, it's a little bit di- different deal if you're going to pay a grand for to camp for three days in the infield for a lot of the people to show up as opposed to a $60 football game ticket. Yeah. Well, it's like, like Chris has told us though, that he's the, the people that sit around that park around him with within 10 or 15, he, he said there's several people that didn't show up to the fall race, but they bought their season tickets. They have that, that camping spot for the, uh, for both races. Both well, race yeah, weekends. Be, and maybe you have to buy them that way. Maybe you have to buy both races, even if you're yeah. only going to one that I don't know. I've never uh, by the way, anything. Official seating capacity for Kansas Speedway, according to the almighty Wikipedia, is 48,000. Okay, so it was 48. And yeah. when I, I went down below, all I know is they took out a buttload of seats. And uh, uh, basically every other row, from what I understood on most of the main grandstands, what people tell me each night, you got all kinds of room for drinks and, and your cooler and all kinds of stuff. So Kicking them legs out and spreading out and enjoying the, the, the view. Yeah, but that just means that, you know, that's especially a track like Kansas Speedway that, you know, is under NASCAR's thumb, um, that the money's not coming in. That's that's money that's not coming in um, that they used to, they, you know, used to count on. Mm-hmm. You know, the track just didn't keep all the money. A lot of that money was put into the purse and whatnot. And then the TV revenue got so huge. I mean, through the uh, 2000 to 2010 type stuff when the, Sport was expanding and then starting its downward spiral. Um, yeah. yeah. And I've been watching the TV ratings the last uh, couple of weeks and, and there's been other things going on. Obviously, you know, you get um, with the uh, March madness, that's a huge, huge uh, revenue or viewership. Uh, that That's a big deal in March, I guess is what I'm saying. And uh, a NASCAR, but year over year, basically, as far as NASCAR viewership is concerned, is down again. I mean, it was, we saw it a couple of times last year where it, it was up, it, you know, by two, three, 5% for some races here and there. And, and some would be even, I think last year overall, they, they saw a uptick in the ratings, but so far this year, we've seen a little bit of a downtick. I'm seeing numbers around 15 to 20% viewership drop or not that, excuse me, not that large. It was like six or 7% viewership drop. I wonder if that trend will continue now that, March Madness is over with, and we're kind of into like this lull where, yeah, there's baseball, but only really the diehards will watch every single baseball game uh, for their team at this point in the season. But I, I'm just interested to see if maybe it 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 that that trend starts to turn now that March Madness is kind of wrapping up, even though I guess it's not over with yet. Well, you got the hockey playoffs are just about to get started. We're real close to the NBA playoffs getting started. So you do have a lot going on. Oh, the NBA still going on? <laughs> That's the way I look at it. I mean, I got tired. <laughs> I hardly watched any of that college basketball because they don't call the palming penalty anymore. It just drives me crazy. Yeah. Well, the tra- it's the traveling one for me. Hold well, it's the ball in your it hand. It goes into the same thing. Yeah, you know? hold the ball in your hand, take six steps, and then dribble. And but that's okay. That that's legal. All right, let's uh, wrap up the show. Uh, at least turn number one. We'll be back in turn number two. But I wanted to talk about the awakening coming up this weekend at uh, Shelby County Speedway, Harlan, Iowa. The awakening. Well, it's scheduled to be the awakening part two, but it's actually just going to be the awakening because part one was canceled last weekend. 
Malvern Bank Super Late Models and Malvern Bank 360 Sprint Cars making their debut uh, for the season. And then IMCA Sport Mods will also be on the bill. Three classes, Friday and Saturday. Um, both classes racing on Friday and Saturday. No change between the two. Uh, looks like grandstands are going to open up at 5 o'clock with um, $20 for adults 19 and older. Kids between the ages of 6 and 18 get in for 15 bucks. Kids 5 and under get in for free. Again, that's Friday with grandstands at 5 o'clock. Hot laps at 6.30, racing at 7.00. Saturday, it looks like there's a little bit of a typo on the page, but I'm betting they mean that 19 and older get in for 20 bucks. Kids 6 to 18 get in for 15 bucks, and kids 5 and under get in for free. Grandstand gates are going to open up at 4 o'clock with Grandstand Happy Hour from 4 to 5. There's going to be some drink specials. Make sure you follow the Shelby County Speedway Facebook page for more details on that. They'll do hot laps at 5.30 with racing at 6.30. So shifting the program back just a little bit as it being a Saturday as opposed to a Friday when everyone's got to work till five or six o'clock. So uh, that is the awakening at Shelby County Speedway this coming Friday and Saturday. Um, I believe, I don't think there's any other racing going on, but I feel like I'm missing one race. I don't know, but I, I'd be curious to see where those age breaks came from. Yeah. I, I was kind of thinking the same thing. Uh, I they've got some numbers and statistics that show that they'll be able to cover the bill if they charge this amount for this age group, but kind of a different one there, but I'm used to doing uh, uh, I-80 Speedway and, and Eagle stuff. So it, you know, they're kind of the, their own little deal. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just seems like it's always been, you know, kids five or six and under free um, then whatever. If you, if you got five and under free, you're going to go six to 12 or six to 15. Mm-hmm. you know or a discounted price then everybody that can drive is going to pay sunday the food city 500 at bristol excuse me the food city dirt race at bristol motor speedway is going to be sunday night easter sunday we're going to be racing coverage is going to be on fox with prn and sirius xm having the radio coverage they're going to do practice on friday looks like they're going to have a couple of sessions and that will be broadcasted on fs1 and then they're going to qualify Saturday at about 6 o'clock, well, 5 o'clock in the evening, our time. All right, guys, that's going to do it for turn number one. Make sure you guys get out to Shelby County Speedway for the Awakening on Friday and Saturday. And then tune in to the Bristol Dirt Race on Sunday evening starting at 6 o'clock. Get your picks in on time for the Rick Havenridge Pickums Contest. Big thanks to Taylor Computers and Repair for the technical support. Thanks to Joe's Carding for their continued support. And again, thanks to Rick Havenridge of Wealth Partners, as well as Quaker State and lube the official watering hole of the front stretch just around the corner turn number two we're going to talk to rod walters the new owner for on dragway we're going to talk about acquiring that and his plans for the 2023 season hang tight dirk and i'll be right back Every race car driver has run into the same problem. It's well past normal parts store closing hours, but you need that one to finish your car. The guys who brought you White Knuckle Racing by the River bring you Joe's Karting Racing Parts and Tire Store. Open until 10 p.m. Monday to Thursday and open until 11 p.m. on Friday and Saturday. A parts store that fits your after-hours schedule and you can turn a few laps at Joe's Karting while you're waiting for your part to get pulled from their warehouse. Joe'sKarting.com for more information. Quaker Steak and Lube in Council Bluffs continues to offer the best wings, burgers, and steaks seven days a week, along with great daily specials. Mondays are Kids Night, where kids eat for just 99 cents with the purchase of an adult entree. Tuesdays is All You Can Eat Wings Night for just $17. Enjoy a half rack of baby back ribs for just $13.50 on Wednesdays, and you choose on Thursdays for just $12. You can pick between 15 fried shrimp, a pickup cheeseburger, 15 breaded wings, or six boneless wings. Check out Quaker Steak and Lube and Council Bluffs on Facebook for all their daily specials. Get too quick to steak and lube. We're hooked up in turn two and still showing the green flag on the front stretch. Welcome back to the front stretch, rolling into turn number two, presented by Quaker Steak and Lube in Council Bluffs. You know, we talk a lot about circle track racing, and that's a major part of, of our show. 
with not only NASCAR, but also dirt track and goat karting. And occasionally we talk about going straight. We tried to talk about going straight with uh, Tracy Weber, but you know. Tracy, you're going to get a combination. <laughs> but he does separate the cars. He doesn't go around in circles in his straight car. True. Well, no, I, I saw him race at the end of his career. <laughs> he tried to go. He tried to turn, but just ended up going straight a couple of times into the wall. Anyways, uh, joining us on the show now, the new track manager for Onawa Dragway in Onawa, Iowa, uh, Rod Walters. First off, congratulations on the new gig. Thank you very much. Are you ready to retire yet? Uh, we'll see in a week or two. <laughs> It's uh, there is a ton of work to do, and and just with the uh, the previous track managers, we learned how much they put into it, not only on the day to day basis, but also facility upgrades. So to start off, if you wouldn't mind, kind of talk about your history in drag racing and and how you ended up coming about this job. Um, so I basically started going to the racetrack in 1980 with a neighbor of ours, Tom Grasso, and uh, my oh, dad was him. friends with him, and uh, we started going there. And then Dad started racing with a good friend of his, Charlie Ring, in '81, and that just pretty well ruined me. Um, yeah. We've been. I started racing when I turned 15. Um, my wife's family raced, uh, so we met at, through the track and through mutual that, and then been doing it ever since. Got all our kids ate up with it to where they've raced, and uh, we just in uh, just our best friends in life have been our yeah. racing friends and our car family, and so. We moved away down to Oklahoma for a few years, and recently came back and. Uh, um, we have some new owners at the track that the family owns, uh, the Richards family owns the track, everything, the property, all the equipment now, which is the first time that that track's been open that this has happened. It was always a leased facility and leased equipment. So this opens up a lot of doors for us to move forward. And uh, But that's a, a friend of mine recommended me to him. And that's just kind of how that came about, went and met with them and we all have the same goals in mind, the same ideas of what we'd like to do and, and keep the track going and, and keep it going for our racing community. And so that was the biggest thing for me was just as long as our goals aligned and we wanted to work towards the same outcome. And it's just worked out so far. We'll see. We got a lot of work to do and, and uh, I need to learn a lot still. Well, maybe a few growing pains the first year, but I, you've been around enough. I mean, that's where we met was at the track and I well, grew up with with your wife right in the same neighborhood so um you know i think i think you're a good fit for the job you, you know i don't know if you've ever ran, actually ran a track before but you've been at enough tracks and around enough tracks you know what goes on yeah we've uh, me and my wife ran our own business there in oklahoma city for several years together um what was it uh, it was a uh, basically a medium-duty truck repair facility. Okay. Um, we've raced. We travel around to the, uh, gone to a lot of the NHRA divisional racing, the bracket racing for IHRA and NHRA. And so it, when you own a, your own business, you start looking at things from a different perspective. I don't know that it makes you that smart, but you just start learning things and seeing how things work. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest thing that we maybe bring to it is the fact that we've had to run it on our own dime. We know what it takes and, and how to attract and achieve customers. Um, we've also seen things good and bad at tracks that we've been to, things that we would like to incorporate and things that, yeah, I don't want to do that. You know, so yeah. there's, a, there's good and bad everywhere, and you got to keep your eyes and ears open and just learn from every experience you can for everywhere you've been. And we've tried to do that, never really with this thought in mind, but it's just there's a lot of miles in the motorhome traveling between races that we would just sit and talk about what we did and what we experienced and what we liked and what we didn't like. Yeah. And uh, just kind of formulated our opinion from that. There, there had been so many times that you sat in that motorhome and thought, why the hell did they do it like that? Um, <laughs> Yes. You know, because it's, it's easy to, when you're, in theory, when you're putting the idea together and then you watch it get executed. I mean, there's been a number of times that Dirk has looked at me and go, why did you do it like that? Yes. And that's the nicer way I put it. Yeah. <laughs> there is a, there's many times, you know, obviously you go to some place and, and it's like, yeah, that, they, they had a good premise of an idea. They just, the, the execution was maybe a little off. 
nobody's perfect. Yeah. The, and the, the biggest deal is you got to learn from, and if you can learn from other people's mistakes to not repeat them, then you're moving forward and you can try to improve yourself and improve your facility. Um, and that's a lot of it. Uh, nobody knows everything. Mm. Nobody's going to have the perfect idea first go around. I'm sorry. Have you met a dirt track driver? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's most of them know it all. Yeah, they'll tell oh, you. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's, you know, there's always the place that we go sit in our golf carts after we lose and watch the racing going on and yeah. point out, do you see how that guy lost? You know, <laughs> but we're already sitting there on the side watching. So, yeah, yeah it's uh, we're all, you know, armchair winners. Yeah. Uh, I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even do it anymore. Uh, Rod Walters, uh, track manager now for Ottawa Dragway. Talk a little bit about the season. When are you guys getting things kicked off, and, and when's the meat of the season rolling? So we're starting um, April 15th with our first opening test and tune day. Um, we're going to have a, a couple-hour meet and greet for people that want to meet us and talk about some things we're changing at the track on that day before we go. Um, track's probably going to go hot around noon to get start running cars. The first bracket race will be on uh, the April 22nd, Saturday, is going to be our first actual points day for that. We are just in continuation of trying to update schedule and trying to increase more things as we go. We have some good events. Um, we have a good race schedule for May 20th. Uh, a local car club uh, group is wanting to help put on an event the appreciating assets car club and uh we're putting on a, a index race that day and then uh june 9th we are put that's a friday night we're putting on uh we have uh joey heichel from omaha area beater bomb his mustang is going to actually grudge race match race uh mick mccormick and the miss l jet dragster and that's not something that i've never seen door car and they kind of expressed interest, and I, I love seeing anything. Yeah. So I'm just ate up with it. So we're going to do that, and that's going to be um, – it's kind of a, a school's out summer kickoff. It's the first full week after all the schools are out, so kids that come up with their school ID get in for half price. Just try to get the kids out there, get them in, entertained, and get them uh, um, in with the track. Mm -hmm. That's the future. Yes, it is. Um, are you going to be in charge? I know they've done uh, some demos and stuff like that, and I know they lease out the uh, uh, the pavilion there. We are working towards um, it, this year. I got kind of hired a little late in the season, we'll say. So, it, like I said, it's a work in progress. We've had a tremendous amount of interest just here at the, the auto show this weekend, and we were up at the Sioux City Swap Meet a couple weeks ago with uh, the demo derbies wanting to do uh, things of that nature. And then um, a lot of other people just this weekend expressed a lot of interest and a lot of desire to help put on some events there. The pavilion, we have a beautiful 9,000 square foot pavilion that we can lease out for um, awards banquets for other racing entities. Lighting um, receptions. Yes. Hey, that place, that's a nice pavilion. It is very nice facility. It is... Uh, I know a lot of racetracks around that I've been to would kill to have that facility oh. on their property. Um, very nice um, concessions in it. The restroom facilities are clean and nice. Um, we're actually getting with some people to be able to have some events there during the winter inside the building. Mm -hmm. um, so we're looking forward to we need to make it busy. And I just believe we have a, a beautiful location right off the interstate in between Sioux City and Omaha to where we have a lot of population that if we do our jobs right, we should be able to attract a lot of people to come out and enjoy themselves and have a ton of fun. Well, getting the cars out will bring the people out. Yes. Yep. We're talking with uh, Rod Walters, again, the track uh, manager for Ottawa Dragway. Uh, have you had an opportunity? We're talking to you on March 12th. Have you had an opportunity to get into the racetrack and start doing some work, or are you still waiting for things to kind of clear up otherwise uh, no we're we've been up there working on things assessing what we need we have ordered uh, some new equipment and got some uh, tremendous sponsors to help us out with some equipment um, uh, we've ordered a new track sprayer a tire rotator that helps prep the track surface um, we have uh, the local uh, dealer up in Ottawa that is uh, going to supply us with some tractors for the equipment prep and that it's been an amazing uh, weekend here with just seeing 
people that I've known since I was a young kid up at Scribner at the Nebraska Motorplex that are coming out and wanting to help us with just track equipment, track facilities, offering to work. And so I feel very fortunate that we're getting that support just volunteered to us. Uh, that's awesome to hear. Yeah, there's a, a ton goes into to getting this stuff, continuing to get this stuff running, but also just adding your own little flair to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, uh, the Harpers, who we were good friends with Gary and Gary, uh, they came on the show quite a bit. They they added quite a bit of their flair to it uh, with paving the, uh, uh, I believe the parking the uh, the some of the parking area. They were working on getting that stuff done. What are some of the facility improvements that you're aiming? The biggest thing we're going to end up doing is through the season we're, we're working towards, uh, we're going to actually move the pits. Um, we're going to put the pits there currently on the east side, and it's kind of a long, narrow stretch. Um, and it's, it's not really convenient when you get a lot of people in there with the, the bigger rigs. I mean, everything evolves. Everything gets bigger. Um, we got a lot of tow vehicles that some of them are up to 100 foot long. So we're going to move the, the pit area to the south side and put roads in there to where it's not rock and, uh, and turn the staging lanes. They'd be more towards the southeast. And then the current pit area is going to be our spectator parking to where we'll have grandstands, but we'll also have area where people can actually like tailgate back up to the fence. The return road will be finished off, and it will run in between the drag strip and the spectator area. So you're returning in front of the the people there, which I think is kind of a cool for the junior dragster racers. The younger crowd get to drive back and and have people see them, and and I think that'd be a neat experience for them. It just it will really make everything the customer experience a lot better when we get that completed. So that'll be more like uh, you know a U.S. Nationals type deal, uh, a, a big national track layout then. Most we, of the tracks have that. Yeah, it's going to be yeah, it. it's going to be closer to that, closer to like you know when you go to the bigger divisional races and that um, for other sanctioning bodies to where they have uh, you know it, it's the biggest thing is com- customer friendliness and, and customer access to where the when we have the people come in, it's pretty tight and confined right now and. And if we did a whole lot to spend money to improve the east side where we're at, we really couldn't increase our car count more. So one big reason why we're trying to do this is the fact that we could accommodate so many more vehicles. So you're going to be on the south side of the pavilion then? Yes, sir. Okay. That and uh, we are opening up to quarter mile um, and we're improving the shutdown, lengthening it a little bit to where we can do more quarter mile racing also because we've had a lot of interest in that. Okay. Uh, what kind of classes are you going to run? So starting off, we are running uh, our normal bracket classes through IHRA, which is uh, the top eliminator class, which is that is your electronics class where you can run all the electronics. And then um, we have modified, which is more of your non-electronics class. You are allowed to use tranny brakes in that. Um, and then we have sportsman, which is the, your your to me, it was always more of an entry level, but it's not that anymore. There's a lot of people that compete and are very good competitors in that class, but it's it's foot brake only. You can't have any electronics type stuff. And uh, and then we have the junior class, which is the younger kids starting at five years old, I believe, right? They can start running at five up to 17 in little miniature half-scale dragsters, which are the actual half wheelbase of a top fuel car. And... Uh, a new thing that we're going to push this year that IHRA has started out and is a teen championship series where a 13 to 17 year old can come up in mom and dad's car, race for a race win. They get to uh, the points champion gets to run at our ET finals and you can drive mom or dad's car. You don't have to buy anything special and mom and dad ride with them. And it's, I think it's a really neat, fun family thing and cost effective to where they're not having to spend a ton of money. You, if you just want to experience it and see if it's something that you would like to enjoy, you can drive up there in dad's pickup, mom's SUV, mom's car, whatever. So it's really cost effective to come up and try it out and see if you like it. Yeah, I raced my uh, old yellow railroad suburban a couple different times. So oh, yeah. We towed Mike Shea up to South Dakota, pre-entered for a super gas show, but we raced it 
Thunderdome in Sioux Falls mm-hmm. the night before, and we broke. <laughs> and they wouldn't give us our money back, so we just unhooked the trailer, and I red let in the semifinals the trophy. <laughs> so. But it was all fun. 2190 dial-in. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> but it's all fun. I mean, we running back in the day at Nebraska Motorplex, break the race car, we'd race the Suburban. Yeah. And was able to keep my points in, up there by continuing to compete in my Suburban. So it's really, you don't have to have a high-end, high-dollar vehicle to come out and have some fun. It's, it's more about just run at your level and have a good time and enjoy what you're doing. They can get links to all the safety rules and everything off the website? Yes, we're working towards that. We're actually working towards a kind of a, a, a cheat sheet, so to speak, of the generic rules for people that, like, say, our Friday night test and tune crowd. So if you have a car with nitrous or added on pro charger or supercharger or turbo or anything, what rules apply to you and, and what you need to to be legal, safety-wise, everything's geared off of safety. We're not going right. to run anybody off or anything like that, but we are going to consult with them and say, look, we would like to see you go forward with this because I don't want to get hurt in a car. I don't want to be on fire in a car. So it, I'm pretty big about pushing the safety side of it just because most of us that do this are blue-collar people that have to work with our hands. So well, I remember it used to be, I think it was a 12-second break-off, 11.99 and quicker had to have a six-point bar. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I think you had to go to the cage at 9.99 and quicker. Yep. You know, I don't remember if those it, are the actual it's, numbers. It's, but. I think it's actually 11.49 and faster at this point. And then for the uh, the full cage and all that is 9.99 and 135. And then it also is a change in the the clothing you have to wear as far right. as the, the single layer to three layer and uh so th- there is there is different things in the rules that that the faster you go the more you got to wear and then uh power adders change that also nitrous and the blowers and methanol that changes some of the the requirements you have to have on the safety and most of it that is all with fire safety you know right. got to have a marking that you got the nitrous and stuff like yes. that on the car yeah yep so, but we're we're working getting like a little cheat sheet that we can kind of have out there on the website and on the Facebook page. Um, everything will be. We're going to really try and stay on top of having all the information out there so that people can feel comfortable to come up there and know what they're getting into. Onawa Dragway at gmail.com. What's the Facebook and website? Um, it's just Onawa Dragway, and uh, the it's onawadragway.com. Fantastic. Have you uh, looped Tom into coming to work for you yet? No, not yet. Um, I've known Tom since I was five, and, and uh, he did some announcing up there in years past. That I know, and I know he's announcing at Eagle on Friday nights for the kids and mm-hmm. that. And so, no, I would like to get Tom up there, and uh, I know he's very good with the nostalgia events. And, and when I first got hired, um, he was one of the first ones I called just to kind of touch base with him and, and talk with him about the car scene and around this area. So he's always been a big uh, influence on me, and, a, yeah. and he's a huge car enthusiast and supporter oh. in this area. Yep. So Absolutely. Um, he's a wealth of knowledge, and I love hearing. I, I, I like history. I like hearing the history of things, and I can sit and listen to them guys for hours. I know. <laughs> I've, I've uh, For two years, I've been trying to – put together in my head some sort of YouTube channel of Tom and Stan, maybe even Dirk, just... Lee Ackerman. Lee Ackerman. Just sit down, turn a camera on, and and just give those guys a topic, and then three and a half hours later, shut it off. <laughs> Do you think you could get it done in three and a half hours? We'll I mean, I could, I've could. i spent times gone up there when Tom was selling weld wheels out of his house and go mm-hmm. up there to see him and... I'd be there for two hours just looking at the pictures on his walls in his shop and, and talking about things. And it's just, I enjoy it. I enjoy the history of it. I, that's why I really want to push the younger generation to it because I enjoyed it so much. And it's been so good to my family that I want to share it with yeah. the new generations because yeah. I, they're, I believe they're missing out if they don't. Absolutely. Rod Walters, of tra- uh, track manager of Onawa Dragway. Thanks so much for your time, man. 
You bet. Thank you very much for we having appreciate me. appreciate it. That's going to do it for us for today's show. Uh, thanks to Quaker Steak and Lubin Council Bluffs for all their continued support. Thanks to Rick Havenridge of Wealth Partners. Find out what Rick can do for you today, rickhavenridgeadvice.com. And uh, thanks to Taylor Computers and Repair, taylorcomputersandrepair at gmail.com or 402-659-5641. And, of course, Joe's Carding, joescarding.com, carding with a K. For Dirk Houston, I'm Dan Taylor. This has been the Front Stretch. Hey, look at that. You're sitting on your couch playing Halo, Madden, or NASCAR while your friends are at Joe's Carding. Each lap is an adrenaline-filled, heart-pumping, white-knuckle experience that you can only get at the Metro's largest indoor karting track. Eco-friendly Honda engines rip you around their professionally designed road course at breakneck speeds. Can you reach the 14-second lap bracket? There's only one way to find out. Put the controller down and get to Joe's Karting, 23rd Avenue in Council Bluffs next to Quaker Steak and Lube. Hey guys, Dan Taylor with Tailored Computers and Repair. This time I'm talking laptop screen replacement. We've all made the mistake of dropping our laptop. Maybe one of our animals stepped on it. Maybe we set something heavy on top of it and we just didn't realize it was too heavy. And you go to turn that laptop screen on, there's a giant crack across it. That doesn't mean your laptop is completely worthless. In just a couple of days of turnaround, I can easily get your laptop screen replaced. And usually it's for a pretty reasonable price. Don't think your laptop is completely wasted just because you have a broken screen on it. Give me a call today, 402-659-5641, or shoot me an email, tailoredcomputersandrepair at gmail.com. I'd be glad to give you an estimate on how much it's going to cost to replace your laptop screen.